Well, good morning, family. It's so good to see you today. Oh, man, I, I know we've been using, like, bumpers and stuff, so you think, man, I've got another 20 or 30 seconds to talk. And the short answer is, no, you don't. And, uh, no, we'll, we'll talk some more. I'm so glad to be a part of a church that loves each other so well. And I just want to say to you something that my wife and I find ourselves often talking and saying together in private is simply, we love you. We're so grateful to be a part of this family with you and so grateful that you have chosen to love each other so very, very well. Today we're in part two of our brief look at this idea of heart of worship. And I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to two passages with me. First one, go with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. Once you get there, put a finger, a piece of paper, someone else's finger, whatever you need to right in that spot, just hold it. So Hebrews 13, and then go with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. So Hebrews 13 and Romans 12. And I, and I want to sort of start with this question this morning. It's not on the screen, so you'll have to listen. I know you're going to have to listen. It's one of those things, but here's the question. Are you ready? What do you think of when you hear the word worship? When you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? In fact, I'm going to give you 10 seconds real fast. Lean to your neighbor and share with them what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word worship. Ready? Go. 10 seconds. Some of you are already stumped. This will be fun. All right. Three, two, one. Let me just make it easy on you. How many of you, the first thing you think of when you hear the word worship, think of singing at church. Does anyone else? That's like the first thing that comes to mind. Anyone else? Okay. Now for some, maybe it's something else. Maybe you've got a more holistic view or maybe you think of something else entirely or maybe you're just kind of going, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of one of those words we use, but I don't know that anyone's really defined it well enough that I can say I see it in my mind when I hear it. I think sometimes when I hear the word worship, I think of singing on Sundays. And then if you see someone raising their hands, you're like, oh, they're really into worship today. In fact, I love what comedian by the name of Tim Hawkins says. He's talking about different types of hand raising in worship. And maybe you've seen some of these. I don't remember all of them, but I remember a few. He talks about there's different kinds of hand motions for worship. So there's the carrying your TV worship. Your hands are right here. And then there's the flat screen, widescreen TV worship, right? And then there's the Jesus is number one worship. So the hand goes up like this. Jesus is number one. And then there's the high-fiving Jesus. So you're doing this in your worship. Have you ever seen someone do this? We've got one right here. Anyone else see this? And then there are others who say, no, no, no. My worship, it's the my fish was this big worship. Some of you are like, no, no, my fish was this big worship. And then, of course, I love the washing the windows worship. This is the one where the person just kind of got the sway going on. And then my all-time favorite is the single girl worship. Have you seen this one? It's I've got no ring on my finger worship, but I love Jesus worship. If you love Jesus, you can come over with me worship. Have you seen this? And so we have these different kinds of worship, but here's what I need you to know. And the big idea for this whole series is this. Whether you think of worship as the songs you sing or the hands that are raised, you need to understand that you and I and everyone in the world is this. We are all worshipers. You're a worshiper. In fact, let me just broaden it out here. Your spouse, your child, your neighbor, your best friend, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, everyone you know is a 
worshiper because worship is not simply something you think, but rather worship is the response to what you value most. So if you value something, your life will orient around it and you will give it honor. You will lift it up. That's what worship ultimately is. It's lowering yourself and lifting something else up. It is a response to what you value most. And this morning, I want to look at two passages and get sort of a picture of what worship looks like. The first one is from Romans chapter 12. It's a familiar passage. In fact, if you were to pick out like the top five passages on worship, this one will always be at the very, very top. But in it, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of worship that I think is very, very helpful. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, these are Christians, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, to, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, will you say this last line out loud with me? Here it is. This is your true and proper worship. So notice what he does here. He gives a picture and then says, this is what worship looks like. And there are two things I want to see from this passage this morning. The first one is simply this, that worship begins with God. Worship begins with God. Did you notice those first few verses? He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, worship. In view of this, In view of what God began, you do this. So God's mercy is the starting point for all of our worship. In fact, if you read through the book of Romans, it is a master class in theology. It is the Mount Everest of theology. The first 11 chapters, Paul is talking to two different groups of Christians, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and he's showing them something about who they are. And he, as a result of all that he says, says, this is how you worship. I want to show you God's mercy. You say, well, what is God's mercy? Well, let me show you just a few pictures from the previous passages. Notice this. There is no one righteous. That means you're not righteous. I'm not righteous. Your neighbor isn't righteous. How many of us kind of like the fact that We're not righteous, but also our neighbor is not righteous as well. You're not righteous. We're not righteous. Not even one. And then he goes on. He says, all have sinned, oh no, and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says this very terrifying phrase in chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. Now you read this and you go, that doesn't sound very good, Paul. And he's like, I know, but let me tell you something that is good. Are you with me? And we all say yes, because we want to hear something good. He says, let me show you the mercy of God. But God, notice where it all begins. I've messed things up. You've messed things up. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. I'm lost apart from God because of what I have chosen to do. And so have you. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, say these words with me. Christ died for us. That's right. He says, this is the good news. He says, but there's more. Get this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning what you've done, what I've done, you are not held responsible. God will not judge you for what you've done. He put all of that judgment on his son, Jesus, and put all of Jesus's goodness on you. Is that good news to anyone else this morning? And then he says, but I want to give you one more picture. So notice this next verse. Verse. 
For I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing, whatever you can dream up, think up, worry about, the things that stress you out in the middle of the night, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Worship begins with God. It's because of that mercy. The greatness of God, what he has done for you and for me, Paul says, because of all of that, you and I go, yay, God. We worship because of what God has done for us. Do you understand your worship will only be as great as your view of the greatness of God? And if God has done all of this, then how can we do any less than give them all of us to him? The first thing you need to see is that worship begins with God. But the second thing I want you to see from this passage is that worship is an action. Worship is not just a thought. Worship is not just a feeling. How many of us will talk about Sunday, we'll leave, and we're like, oh man, the worship just felt so good. And listen, feelings are important, but worship is not primarily about how I feel. Worship is primarily about how I am acting. This is why you can come into church and not worship. And why you can go out into the city and worship all week long. Because worship is an action. In fact, notice what he says. Offer your bodies. Offer. Give. Do. There's something that we are processing or participating in. Worship is a participation sport in a spectator's world. We don't sit on the sidelines and go... Good job. No, he invites us onto the field to play the game, and that is the act of worship. In fact, the book of Psalms, the Old Testament book, which we're going to begin going through in two weeks. We're going to have a great time this summer going through the book of Psalms. But it is a book primarily about worship. And did you know that it is just chock full of words, of verbs about worship? Let me just give you a smattering of some of the words that it lists. He says, shout to God. Sing a new song. Dance before him. I know for some of us that's a scary thought. And for others of us, it's a scary thought to think about us dancing. But he says, do this. He says, shout to God. Sing a new song. Dance before him. Clap your hands. Bow down. Lift up your head. Oh, child, isn't it true that some of us live lives with downcast heads for what we have done? And yet when you come into the presence of God, he invites us to lift our head, not because of how good we are but because of how good he is. Lift your head. Tell of his might. Stand in awe. Meditate on his truth. Walk in his ways. Still your heart. Oh, for so many of us, we need to still our hearts, don't we? Still your heart. Cast down your idols. Run to him. Make a loud noise. This is why in church I love hearing the voices of little kids because growing things make noise. Be afraid of the church that is completely silent on Sunday. Make a loud noise. Lift your hands. Clash the cymbals. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Seek his face. Tell the nations. I could go on and on. Do you get the point? Worship is an action. Meaning... Coming in here and celebrating the things you did not do is not worship. Coming in here and celebrating what God has done through you through the week, that is worship. But he doesn't just say offer. He's very specific. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this sacrifice imagery was very common in the ancient world. Both Jew and Gentile people alike sacrificed something on a repeated basis to either Yahweh, the one true God, or to pagan gods. 
And so they were familiar with stepping into a temple on a weekly or a few times a year basis to bring an animal or a grain offering or some form of money and to say, I give something valuable to something much more valuable. And Paul uses this sacrifice imagery to help Joshua and maybe help you remember something that we forget often. And it's simply this, that everyone will give their life to something. Every one of us will give our life to something. And in fact, we use this sacrifice language when talking about how people give their lives and stuff, don't we? So we talk about the man who gave his best years to his business or the mama who gave up her time to raise those little ones. Or we talk about the woman who gave up relationships to pursue her dreams or her hobbies. Do you understand? We are all giving up something for what we value most. We are sacrificing something for what we value most. And Paul is saying Christ died for you, so now live for him. This is worship that we give. And it's not that we just die to ourselves, yes, but we now live for Christ. The only question is what are we giving our lives to? Because every one of us is. I mean, let, 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 let's just do it this way. If I were to invite you to pull out your phone and maybe pull up your calendar, and I would just ask you the very obvious, simple question, where does your time go? You can see quickly what you worship the most. It'll be job, it'll be a relationship, it'll be a sports team, it'll be the, watching your kids play sports, it'll be something. There will be something that you worship and it is shown to us in black and white based on the time we spend and the resources we give. And so Paul invites us to give our lives. Now here's the problem with Paul's words, they're still not clear enough for my little brain. I'm like, okay, living sacrifice, what does that mean? Like, how do I give my life in a way that is a sacrifice to God? I mean, what, do I go lay down on an altar for a little while? Okay, I'm still alive. Get back up, walk away. Is that what it means? No. And so I love what the Hebrew writer does in chapter 13. It's like, okay, Paul, that's great. Let me help clarify where you've left things a little vague. And he's going to give us a definition of what it means to sacrifice or be a living sacrifice to God. Are you ready? Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16. This is what he says. Through Jesus, by the way, the reason we pray and say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers is because everything we have, access to God, hope for eternity, eternal life, all of that is through Jesus. So he says, through Jesus, therefore, let us say these two words with me really loud. Continually offer, very good, to God a, notice that word, sacrifice of praise. And he's going to define this sacrifice of praise as two things. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Here's the definition of what it means to worship God, whole life living sacrifice. Are you ready? Here it is. It means three things. Number one, continually with lips and life continually with lips and life continually with lips and life paul first now the hebrew writer second is saying you want to reflect to god the goodness of god and all the things that he's done for you worship is continual with your words 
with the lips that God's given you and the life that you have. It's more than what we say and it's more than just what we do. It's all of it on an ongoing basis. But the problem is Joshua has a small view of worship. Maybe you do too. And so the Hebrew writer says we need to reimagine the bigness of worship. That it's not just one thing, but it's a lot of things. In fact, let's just do it this way. Let me give you a visual to maybe think through this. Let me show you this. This dot, let's say that this dot represents one hour of your time. One hour. But it's not just any one hour. Let's just say that this dot represents one hour on Sunday. And this one hour on Sunday is when we go to worship. Now, during worship, what do we do? Well, we do a lot of different things. So we may sing, pray, give, learn. By the way, these are all types of worship. Did you know that giving is an act of worship? Did you? So when you give, you are worshiping. When you don't give, that's an area where you're not worshiping. Prayer, did you know prayer is an act of worship? It absolutely is. You're talking to God. Did you know learning is an act of worship? Why? Because Jesus says, love God with heart, soul, mind. So your mind, giving him your thoughts, thinking on him is an act of worship. And so we come and we're like, oh, I go to worship on Sunday. By the way, just, just, this isn't a trick question, just yes or no. Is it a good thing to worship God on Sunday, church? Yeah, absolutely. So I hope you go to worship on Sundays. But the Hebrew writer does not say go to worship on Sunday, does he? Because the problem with this phrase is if I'm going to worship on Sunday, then when I leave worship on Sunday, I'm just going back to the rest of my week. The other 167 hours. See, this, if we have the understanding that worship is simply a place you go or a particular activity in this building, then you and I are going to miss out on what God is inviting us into and we will not live lives of worship. Remember, you will worship whatever you value most. So if you value God only on one hour on Sunday, then that's all the worship he's going to get. But my goodness, if he is your ultimate in every way, every day, he will receive worship everywhere you go. Now here's where I go, well, what does that even mean? Does it mean I need to have a breakout praise time in my car? Does that mean I need to stop and I need to sing in the office park? Does that mean, I mean, what does it mean? I want to give you a picture. So this week, I had a few moments that kind of reminded me of what worship really, really is. In fact, if it's continually, it's 24-7, night or day, does that mean we have to join a monastery? Heavens no. I look terrible in a robe, okay? But what does it mean? It means that we are now in every place that we're going, our lips and our lives are a glory to God. So this week we went with some friends up to Dollywood for a day trip on Friday and we had a ball. And we rode the new ride there, this Bear Mountain, whatever, Big Bear Mountain ride. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's a lot of fun. I'm sitting there with my little girl. She's terrified. Her eyes are closed the whole time. I'm like, open your eyes. It's less scary. She's like, no, it's not. But we're having a great time. We're on this roller coaster. Now, here's what I want you to see. That moment can either be a moment of praise or it can be a moment that passes me by. And by the way, when I ride roller coasters, I love roller coasters. But I find that I do one of two things on roller coasters. Either I pray a lot, please don't let it break, Lord. Or I praise God, arms shoot up, yeehaw, life's good, I'm alive at least right now, thank you. 
So even riding a roller coaster becomes a moment, if we will allow it, where our lips and our lives are aligned to the goodness of God. Let me give you another couple examples. After we were at the park, we went out to our van, and guess what? I forgot to turn off the hazard lights. And so our battery's dead. It's like, oh no, what's wrong? Ah." But here's the thing. Once again, it's a moment where we can say with lips and life, this is a moment of praise or it's a moment that passes me by. And so our dear friends, they help us jump the battery. And I'm there going, thank you, God, for friends who will disrupt their schedule to stick around with a guy who can't remember to turn off his hazard lights. And thank you for batteries. And thank you for cars so that we get to drive places. I don't have to walk. After all, it would be far too inconvenient for me to use these two legs to get around from place to place. Thank you, Jesus. And so now... Now it becomes another place of worship. Let me give you another one. Yesterday morning, a group of 50 of us guys gathered together back here in the gym, and we had a holy moment eating breakfast with lots and lots of bacon. Oh, yeah. There was jalapeno bacon. There was bourbon bacon. There was peach bacon. I didn't know they made such a thing. They had all kinds of bacon. We had biscuits. We had eggs. And then we got to visit together. Here's the point. It could be a moment where we simply visit or it could be a moment where we say, Yay, God, that you've given me friends and you've given us taste buds and you've given us lives that we get to enjoy together. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? This is a picture of what praise looks like, where every moment with lips and life becomes a moment of worship. Let me give you two more. I know I only have one more dot, but let me give you two more. Our friend Nancy Penny, she's a homeschool mom from a million years ago. Great lady. She had five kids, still has five kids. And she, because she has so many kids, was constantly doing laundry. By the way, does anyone else feel like they just constantly are doing laundry? No one else in here feels like they're constant. Okay, well, she felt like she was. And so she would do praise time with her laundry. You say, how in the world is that possible? When you're looking for that missing sock, you're not praising. You're doing something else, many of us. But what would she do when she was doing laundry and she's folding these things? She would take the socks and she'd say, Lord, would you please take my children where they're supposed to go? The feet that these cover, would they be feet that walk in your path? And when she's like putting a shirt on him, would you cover my child's heart so that you would be the protector of the most important place in their life? And when it's underpants, like, would you protect their sexuality? Let them know what is true and just and good so they may enjoy the goodness of God in their marriages. And she would worship God even in doing laundry. Can you believe someone would be that weird that they could worship God doing the laundry? Or a couple weeks ago, we were celebrating The passing of Lindsay's grandfather, 96 years old. He was a minister for a million years. And we were weeping and sad about his loss. But as we were there with family, we're remembering that this patriarch of the family loved Jesus and is now in the presence of God. And this is not the end. This is merely a pause in the family time. Do you see how every moment when given to God becomes a moment of celebration, friends? And here, and here, here's what ends up happening. When you and I with lips and lives see every moment as a moment of celebration, a moment of praise, we begin to continually in the hallways, in restaurants, in bedrooms, on the sports field, everywhere we are, it begins to be a point where we get to worship God. And so worship now is a place where we get out of our worship 
It comes outside of the four walls of this building. It's outside of our devotional time in the mornings. It's outside of Christian conferences or worship events or our music. See, worship's much bigger than just those things. And then when we get this, we put worship back into all the places that we've pushed it out or ignored it. We bring it back into the marketplace. Your business is a place of worship. We bring it back into the boardroom, in the places where we hang out, in our conversations with friends, in the coffee shop moments, into our entertainment choices, our bank accounts, our hidden thoughts, our dark nights, our joys. Everything becomes a moment of worship. Do you get this, friends? This is what it means when God is our all, then all that we have is God's. This is what it means. See, what God is saying is that everything you are is his. All that you are came from him. Every good gift comes from God. And when you and I, when we get this, then every moment becomes a moment of worship. So listen, when you go to lunch today, may you worship the Lord as you eat that meal. May you do so by enjoying the taste in your mouth and the conversation around the table. But may you also, as the Hebrew writer says, remember to do good, tip well. Don't be that person that they regret serving because you are stingy with your tip, but very demanding with your meal. This is a way of worship. So this week... When you tuck your kids into bed and you see that little soul before you and you listen to what's on their hearts and on their minds, worship the God who crafted them in their mother's womb and gave them to you. And when those dark times come, which they will, remember that the one who died for you promises that you will one day live as well with him forever. And in those dark moments around the hospital beds or over the kitchen table when you're looking at the bills or the paperwork that just came in. Remember that even in those moments can be moments of worship for the God who came before you is now with you and is beckoning you onward. This is what it means to live a life of worship. Let's pray together. With everyone's head bowed, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to consider for a moment what part of life needs worship. Is there any area that is withheld from God? Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's just some place where you don't enter in saying, where's God at work so I can worship him? What would it look like if tomorrow you entered into every space and said, this is a place of worship? For some of you, Your next step is to join a worshiping community. That means being a part of Clear Creek, and we would love to help you out at the next step table. For others of you, you simply need to say, God, all that I have, all that I am is yours, and the things that I'm worshiping, I don't want to. You're number one. And then there's others in here. This whole conversation hits you cold because you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth is you've worshiped something else, and it's not him. But that can change today. See, the grace that is given to all in this room is extended to you as well, that you may receive mercy from your sins. You may be the one who has been brought from death into life. And it is as simple as saying to God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and putting Jesus on in baptism. We'd love to talk to you on how to do that. Just join us out in the lobby here in a moment. But do not leave this place without entering into a place of worship.
Father, every heart is open before you now. Please meet us where we are. Thank you that through you we have life and we have hope. And because of that, we now offer to you our praise, yes, in life, but now in words through song. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.